Hello, welcome back to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 35, Building Authentic Communities, with Standing on Giants co-founder Robbie Hearn. So welcome back. This is the last episode of the year, of a tumultuous year, I'm sure you'll agree. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, right? I mean, what a year it's been. And even thinking back to the final episode of last year that I recorded in my old bedroom in my childhood home and the year in many ways has has flew by in many years in many ways rather it's been long <laughs> but in many ways it's also flown by and I guess that paradox of time and and especially as we age you know how a relationship with time changes is actually one of the things that I put in the final chapter of the chief wellbeing officer book it's just interesting how it just sips by again uh, but here we are, uh, and I think many people are just waiting, really can't wait to, to 2020 is over and done with. Uh, but I think in this episode, and as we've covered in the last couple of episodes in this thematic focus on community, we're trying to draw out the opportunity that this year has given us, right? The opportunity to reset and to rethink what we're doing in the working world. Um, and, and in that respect, the episode that I have here with Robbie is, is, is simply fantastic. It's just it's a really, really rich and interesting uh, episode, in, in, in my opinion. I hope you uh, enjoy it too. Before I get to that, um, again, just as, as, as is customary, just reflecting back on this year in terms of what we've done in the podcast. And it was a change. Um, again, um, there's been a couple of waves of change as we went through over the past few years in Chief Wellbeing Officer. And um, and what I wanted to do this year was have a, a quarterly focus uh, and really dig into certain themes that I thought were interesting. And this time last year, you know, I was in London. I had conducted some really interesting interviews face to face with um, uh, you know uh, experts in the wellbeing space in EY and Deloitte Consulting, and that's what kicked off the year. So we had that first quarterly focus of well-being and professional services in Q1 and the hypothesis there, um, you know, and going into each quarter or each focus with either a hypothesis or a question that I want to explore was that, you know, professional services is a very difficult sector to actually make well-being work. So looking for clues from these these people in EY and Deloitte and also Corn Ferry, which made up Q1, was thinking if, if we can actually find some answers there, uh, then we can maybe uh, also get insights into into how well-being can really flourish in other environments, right? In a similar kind of way to extreme user theory within within design thinking. Q2 and, and really thinking and even thinking back to all the different introductions that I did with episodes this year, and they're still very clear in my mind, it was like a train coming, like a fast train, bullet train, the pandemic, right? And each introduction was just thinking, okay, well, this is something that maybe we want to think about, but we were still traveling. And then Q2 was firmly within the the pandemic world that we've known this year. So the theme was well-being in the built environment. But I think I was still a bit optimistic because a lot of the framing within those episodes in Q2 were about as we go back to the office, what is it going to look like? So we're talking to experts in architecture and real estate and, uh, and, and estates management and, and looking for clues as to what the office would look like. You know, any return to the office, and I know some people are, have returned, it was very short-lived, right? And then we got the second wave again. And so really, you know, many organisations, large organisations, have been working from home right from the beginning in February and March. Um, but still, that well-being in the built environment really, I think, looked to, to explore some very interesting themes in regarding the fact that we spend so much of our time indoors my goodness, even before restrictions of any lockdown, right? Research shows that as human beings, we spend up to 90% of our time within four walls. So we've got to think about that, right? Uh, and how that affects our well-being and performance at work. Q3 went into travel. I just thought this was one of these sectors that was so highly affected by the pandemic. You know, if we think of, you know, airlines and hotels and all these kind of companies, then I thought that would have been a fascinating discussion. I was really delighted with the three interviews that we had there squeezed in at the end of uh, September with McKinsey, Uber and Hilton Hotels. 
Uh, I'd also been talking to people in the airline industry as well. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, and maybe we revisit that next year as we as we emerge into what this hopefully post-pandemic working world will look at. But some of those things in travel, um, I, I think, again, it, it talks to us about some of the opportunities that the pandemic has given us about reimagining uh, the experience of travel, right? And, and I remember one conversation uh, in the McKinsey episode with Melissa Dalrymple, which is about, you know, uh, back in the romantic era of travel, there was that notion of something very exotic and very interesting and, and frankly, more pleasurable than travel then became in recent years, where you're simply queued up, herded into small spaces and fighting for space in the overhead uh, luggage cabin for your for your hand luggage, right? So I think, um, you know, uh, opportunities there to to make the world a better place. Let's let's hope so. And in this final quarter of the year, community, as I talked about in the introduction to episode thirty three with Elisa Goldenberg, it's about thinking about how community has perhaps strengthened in these difficult times, uh, but also firmly believing that community is what is maybe going to get us through uh, and into twenty twenty one and hopefully a brighter working world. So. That's been the year. Um, if you've been listening on and off or, or maybe all of those episodes, then that, that's fantastic. And thanks very much for, for tuning in on a regular basis. I don't know what I'm going to do next year. You know, I, I quite like the, the quarterly focus. Uh, I think it's interesting to try and uh, curate, let's say, different guests who all have slightly different perspectives on the same area or same theme or have common interests or common goals. So that may stick around. Uh, I'm still playing with other ideas as to what it's going to look like going into the future. And I think even the video introduction that I did in episode 33 was one small experiment for that. You know, should so should I make it more visual? Uh, should it be a video cast uh, in conjunction with the podcast? Or should it remain audio? Or would there be more elements of video in there again as I'd done um, maybe about 18 months ago when there was a summary for each uh, each uh, each episode or each theme. So may go back to that and still thinking about some of these things. And I hope that, you know, over vacation, then when there is more time to, again, think and just, you know, not work, um, then then some of these ideas again will, will come to me. Um, but please do get in touch if you have been listening even one episode or one minute or over the last couple of years, then drop me a line uh, and, and let me know what you think. Let me know what you'd like to see going forward. So let's get to Robbie's episode. I don't know if I want to give um, too much of a summary here. Just suffice to say that now and again, I have an episode where things click and where it is just such an energizing conversation. And look, all of my guests and uh, all of the interviews that we have, I, I really enjoy them. But now and again, there's a couple that stick in mind that I, I could have kept going for, for a couple of hours, really. And, and, and with Robbie, is one of those ones. I met Robbie uh, for the one and only time, actually, in a course in Universitas Telefonica. It was a course called Leading Self, which was this very deep introspection on our lives. And when you draw your lifeline and, and, and think about where you want to go and, and all of these kind of kind of deep-lying questions, um, and it's quite a spiritual, emotional week, and, and many thousands of people have done that course at Universitas Telefonica. Uh, I did a lot of teaching there, but uh, in this year, which we think, we both think was maybe 2013, uh, I did this course, so we spent that kind of week together and in small groups of uh, six to seven people, so that's when I got to meet Robbie for the first time, and I haven't even spoken since, but we've been connected on LinkedIn. Uh, I knew the great work that he was doing on with Standing on Giants, and that was the main motivation for using community as a theme. So Standing on Giants works with clients to build communities and communities that will help their business and it will help businesses engage with their customer base, right? And I, and, and there's so much more in there that, that, that I think you're going to get from this, right? Um there's so many trends in terms of the way that the world of work is going, but maybe not fast enough. And just, I guess, the overlying message here is just about what is the world, the working world, that we want to strive for, that we want to redesign, right? And and Robbie is a real deep thinker in this area, and I think you'll get a lot from, from his insights and comments. 
So that's it from me for 2020. What a year it's been. <laughs> Again, thanks a lot and wishing you the very best. If you have time to take a holiday to celebrate at uh, this time of year, then, then fantastic time with loved ones, time to just put your stresses and worries to one side. I know it might be a difficult holiday season for many with restrictions and all the rest of it, but let's look forward to a brighter 2021. So as ever, keep well and bye for now. Ciao. So hi, Robbie. Welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. How has 2020 been for you? Hi, Stephen. Um, great, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Good to talk to you again. I, I think like for many people, 2020 has been a, a year of, uh, you know, big upheaval, big ups and downs. Um, but mostly for me, especially professionally, I think it's been a really a, a positive year, actually. I think we feel fortunate as a business that we've we've kept most of our staff, we've kept most of our clients and and we're starting to do more work. Um, with brands that are interested in online communities because that's becoming more and more relevant. That's what I see, you know, that, that, that more and more brands want to connect in a meaningful way with customers online. Um, I think that's a trend that was already, you know, already happening, but it's been accelerated by the pandemic. So, yeah, lots of negatives and have a lot of empathy and compassion for people who've suffered and for businesses that have suffered. But personally speaking, in, in my professional life, it's actually, you know, it's, it's, it's been a year of progress for those reasons. Yeah. yeah, no, it's good to hear. And as you say, you know, in, in many different areas, we can identify concepts that were already in progress, but they've really been turbocharged during the yeah. past several months of, of this pandemic. And I think, you know, this whole issue of community and how we can actually uh, improve engagement in a, in a broader, more distance working world and and belonging and things, I think is pretty well aligned with what you guys do. So it's great to hear that it's been a good year for Standing on Giants. Um, can you tell us just a little bit what what you guys do then? What what do you do with clients? What was what, what the things that you offer? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the simplest way to think about it is that we help clients uh, in all industries all over the world build collaborative communities with their customers online. So, you know, that, that, that's the top level. Uh, the way we do that is, you know, partly with technology, partly with community management, which is, you know, people actively involved, and partly through consultancy, which is helping businesses understand the strategy uh, behind successful communities and understanding what they need to do operationally to build those communities. Um, because what we found through years and years of doing this is that you know, the word community is something that most people feel they understand, but the practice of community is something that very few people understand. The practice of community is is a completely different beast and, and a multi-dimensional thing that most businesses don't have a good grasp on. They don't know how to actually create and run a successful community. So we're here to, to fix that problem, really. You know, um, a lot of our clients have tried to set up online communities and not been successful for one reason or another. Um, and some of them have been thinking about it for years, but not knowing where to get started, uh, which is a really common problem. Um, and so we think of it as a whole solution. We can we can take care of all the work, all the moving parts of building a community, and uh, yeah, and that's something that increasingly more and more companies, you know, seem seem to see a need for. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You, you know, I think you can identify even in terms of the journey that companies have been on with their customers in the past several years that you can see something like this is absolutely necessary right so you've got trends including Definitely. you know co-creation for example with customers and a lot of really understanding understanding perhaps deep lying needs you know the whole aspect of customer yeah. loyalty in an age where mm. you know customers are maybe more prone to to not be loyal and to switch around because there's so much offer out there and the whole issue around yeah. storytelling and, and and brand development that companies have, right? So you can 
I, I can see that that whole aspect of community building and just having that closer relationship with your customer base is you know, absolutely valuable for, for any enterprise. You know, you're the co-founder of Standing on Giants. Was it a, yeah. a, a difficult sell at the beginning? I mean, what was that journey like as you were going through and, and attracting new business? Yeah, well, I think, you know, my personal journey has been, you know, first of all, working for a mature independent business. Then I worked for corporates for quite a few years. And then I helped set up GifGaf, the mobile company in the UK, which was like a, uh, uh, you know, a startup sponsored by but, and then the last few years, I've run my own business, Standing on Giants. So I, over the years, I've worked for and been involved in all sorts of different types of businesses. And um, so, so my journey to where I am now is quite unusual, I think. Um, and I would say, yes, it's definitely the, the sell of you know, what we do has got easier over the last few years. But if you think back to GifGaf, uh, you know, 2009, when we were setting up a business that was going to run on a community, you know, use a, the world's first mobile company to be 100% on, no shops, no call centers, um, you know, and putting the customers at the, really at the center of the business in terms of, of the customers doing things for the business. You know, that was an extremely innovative model and is still an innovative model worldwide, not, not something that is common. So I think... You're absolutely right. Although the big trends in the world are moving in that direction, these things happen at a much slower pace than people generally think, you know. And there's still a lot of, I would say, sometimes conscious and sometimes unconscious resistance to the idea of building a genuine community with your customers. For, for some people, it's, it's an extremely challenging and frightening idea. Mm. Um, you know, and I was, I was thinking about that just before we spoke. You know, and I think the big, the big kind of emotional, psychological reasons behind that are that if for a business to get value from a community, and for the community members to feel value from that community, which is the state you want, right? You want this win-win scenario where the people in the community, the customers, are feeling genuine value. They're feeling it emotionally. And the business is getting genuine commercial value. They can see it in their bottom line. That win-win is completely possible. Uh, but it's, it's getting there is the hard part, right? And that value only comes when you have genuine connection, right? You have to have connection between the members of the community. They have to feel a mutual connection with each other. And they have to have a connection with the business, right? And then if you come down another layer, I think it's emotionally extremely true that you only get connection when you show vulnerability. Mm. Right? That vulnerability is is necessary for human connection. And you know, we find that difficult enough in our everyday lives, some of us often, you know, in our personal relationships with friends and partners. But I think for businesses to accept being vulnerable is often a huge ask. You know, yeah. the collective consciousness of the business and extremely resistant to showing vulnerability and so i think the, the the concept of what i do with standing on giants the idea of building collaborative communities between the business and the customers is still a, is still a tough ask for for many businesses for that reason you know is that they don't have the kind of inbuilt cultural collective consciousness that they need to show some vulnerability yeah. and that that is the, that is the seed of connection. And from that connection comes value. So it all sounds a bit philosophical, but, you know, I think that is the, you know, I, I do think as humans, we are driven by our emotions and by our, you know, our unconscious patterns of behaviors. And that doesn't really change when we go to work. Right. So the people who are running businesses are human, just like everyone else. Um, and, and the challenges we face in our everyday lives are, are still challenges when we come to building these types of communities. So Absolutely. great value, great potential, but only with great work and great commitment to uh, to showing vulnerability and empathy and those types of things. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, you know, businesses are made out of people, as you say. But what has happened with certain organisations is that the whole corporate culture has has 
taken over the corporate machine, no? And 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 that's yeah. taken away the the humanity of a lot of people in many ways, right? So it, it becomes a machine that is much more hard driven and, and, and results driven at all costs and and there is yeah. that 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 reticence to to show some of these human emotions like vulnerability mm. and things like that. And because even oh. when you were starting talking there, I could imagine that for any business, you know, just having that mm. real transparency to engage mm. deeply with their customers is a big ask. And then when you take it mm. down another level and to show maybe aspects of weakness, it's not a natural thing for a business, right? A business, you know, it's all about, okay, we're going to offer you this value and we're the strongest and we're the most competitive in the, in the market. Yeah. And we're not going to show any, yeah. any weakness. And, but we know that weakness is a part of being human. And that when we do show that yeah. and we are very open and honest about it, then you, you build that, that stronger connection, right? So I can imagine that exactly. would be quite a difficult journey for a lot of enterprises um, and to have, and, and it's necessary that philosophical reflection, I think, in a, in a business level. I'm getting the sense also that it's businesses that are very, if we can borrow an expression from uh, just, you know, the individual case or who we are as human beings, is businesses that are kind of very comfortable in their own skin, right? They're very clear, oh, perhaps, oh. on their own identity. They know exactly oh. where they're going and how they're going to achieve value. And they're very open mm. to building these types of communities. Any thoughts on on that mm. one? Yes, definitely. And 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 first of all, to reflect on what you just said, uh, you know, I think the you know the central concept that business needs to become more human is huge for me. Right, I agree with that hundred percent. And I think that that is happening. You know, I am an optimist, and I would say that that is the big change we would we would want to see globally in the world in the next fifty years is that business becomes more human. And uh, we we backtrack a little bit from this obsession with technology, you know, because I think we're starting to realize that we have overplayed technology. And the single biggest example of me is the huge rise of social media and algorithm-driven platforms, you know, because those platforms are great examples of what you've just said. You know, the the central algorithm that drives Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and any any of those platforms is a commercially driven algorithm that prioritizes the monetization of human attention above everything else. The algorithm has no sense of the holistic nature of a human being, right? And that is a really perilous situation for us to be in, in my opinion, right? And I think more and more people are starting to realize that and are starting to think we need a different approach to business holistically. Like we cannot simply treat human beings as monetizable units of attention that way disaster lies in all in all sorts of ways you know so i think that's a huge theme you know which i'm very passionate about myself you know is how do we collectively take responsibility for building a different economy for building a different type of business because it doesn't it doesn't help to demonize the techies right to place shame on them in my opinion just like it doesn't help to do that with anyone we're all human we're all vulnerable we're all susceptible to hypocrisy and self-interest um, and it's just about recognizing that and building you know models that account for that and mitigate for that rather than throwing everything out and i think that consciousness is arising in the world through things like movement you know where i'm very proud to say something on giants is a b corp you know we're working with more and more b, b corps there's things like the zebra movement in the in the states, which is an alternative, um, you know, venture capital, very much opposed to the toxicity of the of the of the unicorn kind of derived to be a unicorn. There's meaningful business in the UK. There's these networks growing up, movements of people who are starting to see the world the same, which I think is super positive. Absolutely, and that kind of you know that kind of leads into your second question is you know, about these different types of business, Stephen, you know, you, you describe them as businesses that kind of know who they are and feel comfortable in their skin, you know, and that's what I see in these movements, right? And that's what I like to think, you know, is true of standing on giants is that we know who we are. We know what we stand for. We know how we want to be a business, you know, and we want to be a business that is a force for good. And it's, it's not overly idealistic to say that, you know, and I think that 
businesses that, that have those types of qualities, you're absolutely right. They, they tend to be more comfortable with the thing we were talking about earlier, which is showing vulnerability and more open to the idea of building genuine connections with the people who use their services. And, and, and I think that that is probably only the beginning, right, of a bigger opening out, a bigger connection where these businesses, um, you know, start by forming more meaningful communities with their customers. But then I think the, the next evolution of that in coming years will be for businesses to form, a, you know, connections in the wider community. So with their supply chains, for instance, with the regulators, with the investors, with the other entities and parts of societies that sit around all businesses, uh, because businesses don't exist in isolation, right? Yeah. In many ways, you know, businesses are like individuals in a global system, right? And, and the more that businesses acknowledge their position in the system and their responsibilities to the system, uh, I think, you know, they'll function and the better society will function. Absolutely. So, I mean, this connects, I think, a little bit with um, the previous episode with uh, a former colleague of yours, actually, Will Kirkpatrick, the head yeah. of sustainability operations at O2, right? So a lot of our discussion yeah. there was looking at you know, the, the contract that business has in society and just, you know, getting away from the whole 1970s Milton Friedman business, the business of business is business and, and, and nothing yeah. else, right? And, and recognizing yeah. that, you know, as yeah. well as the, the business case, there's a moral case and the two can meet, right? They don't have to be mutually Definitely. exclusive, right? So you can strengthen the yeah. bottom line by paying more attention to some of these things and, and the wider network in which the business operates so we hope and and with some of your examples yeah. that you're talking about with b corp and, and and movements like that then we do get to that tipping point at some point hopefully soon right that your yeah, points on the your, your points on the attention economy it was actually something that i wanted to ask you because well we had a previous episode actually in this podcast looking at the yeah. work of tristan harris and and his colleagues in the us and just recognizing yeah. that We've been driven by these big tech platforms and it's mm -hmm. a quote, it's a, it's a race to the bottom of the brainstem, really, right? It's kind of yeah, that's it, right. it's, yeah. it's dumbing us all yeah. down. It is not embracing yeah. who we are as holistic human beings. And of course, there's been many, many benefits, right? But the question yeah. I have here in terms of what Standing in Giants does, which is mm. a big part of that is, is online uh, you know, technology-based mm. communities. Is yeah. there any danger of the behavior of users, you know, with, with their behavior, which has been shaped by the tension economy over, over, over the past several years in terms of how they relate to people online? I mean, do you need to pay, mm. you know, special attention to that? I mean, how, it's a bit of a trade-off yeah. there, perhaps. No, how, how does it go? There's definitely things you have to watch for, you know. So in the early days, we would, you know, we would talk about super users in the community engaged members who would spend eight or nine hours a day on in the community and we would trumpet that as a good thing without acknowledging the fact that there is actually there's probably something going wrong there right mm -hmm. for that person if somebody is doing something for that extent to the exclusion of other activities it's probably not healthy right so there is the you're definitely right that we need to watch for some of those behaviors um and we do take much more care of that these days and we run communities the way that the community managers interact with the members you know they're much more aware of the the downsides of too much engagement in the platform you know so they will deliberately watch out for that they will help people um you know to manage their time online they will give those people th other things to do and encourage them to do other things uh you know and that wasn't there in the beginning for us I think that's one small example and it's relatively rare that you know that scenario and uh, you know we're talking less than probably a third of 0.1 percent of people you know but it's important that we recognize that behavior and that we help people you know to to have a more balanced interaction with the with the with what we're doing that's one example I think there's so many other examples of the way that our communities are different to those attention economy things though the um maybe the most obvious is that we insist 
in all of the communities that we build and help clients build that they're really strong lines for behavior you know and that and that that toxic behavior is is not tolerated at all you know that the platform actually allows people the tech allows people to flag toxic behavior of all sorts the community managers you know act on toxic behavior of all sorts and the members are encouraged to to oh, as we say now in our world educate other people about how to engage constructively online and none of those lessons are really new to human beings right i mean we are the same we're wired the same have been for 200,000 years i think the the challenge in today's world it just comes from having this new tool to play with and new ways of expressing ourselves so the work that we do there is about really reminding people how to behave um yeah. you know as a considerate respectful person and that's a huge all, part yeah. Yeah, I think we could all do with a reminder now and again. Absolutely. Yeah, we all because because we all slip, right? Especially when emotions are running high, which they sometimes are in these communities. Yeah. Um, I think I think the single biggest difference, uh, which I could, if I can try and artic articulate it, is that in our community, there's no algorithm, right? There is no algorithm putting content in front of people and demanding their attention, right? In our in our communities. That there is much more freedom of the individual to choose who they want to interact with, what they want to interact about, and how long they do it for. You know, and that and we actively encourage connections between people, right? And more and more, I think if I just want one, if I want people to hear one thing that I'm saying, it's that community is about connecting with other people, right? And too often in today's world, the word community has been misappropriated to mean audience and an audience is not a community an audience is a whole group of people individually consuming something and the big social media platforms have co-opted the word community and i and i sometimes worry that younger people you know who have grown up in the last 20 years with the internet and maybe don't have their the real world knowledge of of real world communities that they are somehow living in an impoverished version of community because the experience of community that they're presented with on social media platforms is presented as community but in reality it's a very very thin form of community you know the the thing i was thinking the other day was son is 10 right he started watching Mr. Beast videos on YouTube. I don't know if you know him. Steve, not yet. Right? Not yet. Little, little guys five. Right. I'll, I'll get there. I'm sure at some point. You know, <laughs> and they're entertaining videos, right? And some of these videos have 30 million views, right? But to my mind, there is no difference between somebody yesterday, you know, 30 million people yesterday watching a Mr. Beast video, and 25 million people in the 70s watching Malcolm and Wise. Right. There is, to my mind, there's very little difference between those two things, even though they're presented differently. They're audiences who are consuming content, you know, uh, and that is a very, very different experience. Right, and there's there's all sorts of different, you know, cognitive and social dangers that come when you become addictive, addicted to being an audience member of content for commercial gain. Whereas our model is not that, you know, our model is yeah. connecting I think, people I think, together. Yeah. Yeah. As you're yeah. saying, you know, it's it's really interesting. And I think the difference also can be that there's more of an equitable um, relationship there when it's a true community, right? You're not just consuming, yeah. that there's a real give and take. And, and there's yeah. both sides yeah. there have, have a stake Definitely. in it, a real stake, which leads Definitely. to insight and development and, and, and all of these different things, right? You're just not dumbly yeah. receiving and consuming which is just going to lead you down and, and you know, you have to, it has to be more of an active role there as well. So I think those are great yes, comments. Um, looking at examples maybe and, 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 yeah. and, you know, thinking about the importance of some of these things. Cause, so this comes back mm. to some of your initial comments on the practice of community, which isn't easy mm. to do. And then that, mm. that difference between, uh, you know, community and an audience and how we have to be really well connected. We've needed that more mm. than ever, right? During the pandemic, yeah. we need that connectivity. Yeah. 
we need that belonging. Can you just give us mm. a couple of cases, maybe with clients and how that's gone, and, mm. and maybe in terms of how clients, maybe you, you know, you've helped them navigate this yeah. terrible year essentially, and and still had people you know coming together. Uh, any names that you Definitely. can bring in as well? I think a great example would be Airbnb, right? So we run all the host communities globally for Airbnb. You know, there's over a million uh, a million members in that community now. It's, it's huge, you know. And Airbnb as a business suffered hugely at the start of the pandemic, as you can imagine, when travel collapsed, right? Um, so their whole business was threatened, you know. And their initial response as a business was to withdraw, right? So they they went behind the barricades, metaphorically speaking. Their PR and public pronouncements were very limited. And the hosts, you know, the, which is Airbnb's names for, you know, anyone who, who rents out their room or rents out their ha- house, the hosts became extremely angry, right? They, there was a huge amount of negative sentiment towards Airbnb um, because the hosts, many of them, rely on the income that they get from Airbnb for their livelihoods, especially, um, you know, in less advanced countries. Um, but even in, even in the more developed countries, a lot of these hosts were, were struggling. And suddenly it seemed to them that Airbnb had left them, right, had abandoned them. And, you know, and I, I very much a believer in using these words to describe emotions because I think we are emotions, emotional people, right? That is what drives us, and and brands need to recognise emotions. Right? And and what I said to Airbnb early on was, this is a time to show your vulnerability. You must come forward. Right? You must come forward. You must share your pain. the The reason that these people are so angry is partly because you have broken the connection, and they don't understand the the problems you're in. And the short version is, you know, not it wasn't only. I wasn't the only voice saying that, right? But Airbnb did turn it around. You know, they p- turned around their public pronouncements. Brian Chesky, the founder of Airbnb, made a couple of, you know, really heartfelt and truthful and transparent pronouncements in the community. And that really made a difference. It took the heat out of the, out of the situation. It rebuilt connection but it was very difficult for airbnb to do they did not want as a collective organization initially to let their community know that they were struggling but as soon as they did you could see the sentiment changing in the community and then that gave airbnb the confidence to go further down that path and and what is genuinely you know amazing for brands and for humans in general is what happens when vulnerability is shared when connection is made huge huge things can happen and that happened in airbnb's case we uh, helped them with an incredible initiative where over a hundred thousand hosts globally instead of you know using their homes in the normal commercial way they made their homes available to key workers you know so the entire kind of airbnb platform was repurposed to to make space for key workers who who were working incredibly long shifts needed to stay close to hospitals to ambulance stations and so on didn't want to um you know contaminate their families you know a massive operation an active contribution as you were saying a second ago right that can't happen without active participation by the brand right it's a collective effort and i i think that you know that is what motivates me really down to my core is the idea that through collective understanding we can collectively solve problems and take collective action and that can be genuinely amazing you know and that broadly speaking in the world we live today that businesses have a huge opportunity to step up in that way you know we used to depend entirely on the institutions of the state we used to depend on government we used to depend on the church and the way the world has moved in the last 50 to 100 years those institutions have have lost their power or they've lost their trust or they've lost their efficacy and instead we've built a global interconnected network of private companies and when those companies start to realize as we said at the start of this conversation that they can play a bigger role in in society 
if they are vulnerable, if they acknowledge value beyond profit, if they connect with their people and their, their employees and their customers, if they connect into society, then they can do truly amazing things. You know, and we we've, we've seen that. That you know, obviously, isn't just me saying that. You know, there's plenty oh, of uh, yeah. I mean, if you, think, that, you know, that that's yeah. an upside of the pandemic, right, Stephen? That you Absolutely. know, we've seen these things happen. Yeah, I mean, and I'm even thinking now. Some of the as you're as you're talking, you know, the 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 op-ed uh, from Mark Benioff, you know, the co-founder of Salesforce and the New York yeah. Times, and and the, the signatories yeah. of business roundtable, and recognizing just as you say that government isn't stepping up as much as it needs to to solve in their instance in their context they're talking about societal mm. problems in the u.s so they're having to yeah. contribute and they're encouraging other big businesses to to do likewise and of course look, yeah. let's not romanticize the work of a lot of big corporates who you know of course do their fair share of damage as well and maybe they're mm. just trying to mitigate mm. some of that damage by throwing money in a philanthropic sense or CSR initiatives or whatever it may be. But yeah. we, we hope that the, 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 the you know, that, that it's authentic, let's say, right. But you're absolutely right. Yes. And it comes back to that role that the businesses can have and they need to have and need to get involved. And even the examples that you gave there about uh, lodgings for uh, frontline workers in the episodes in Q3 on travel, you know, we heard that also when I was in discussion mm. with Hilton and Uber, that they were mm. being involved in the local community and they were looking after people during this time, which, of course, mm. my goodness, so much value in a social sense, but absolutely mm. tremendous business value as well, right, in, in the longer term. Yeah. And I think the other thing in terms of the the case of the, the Airbnb founder, you know, I was thinking about these things earlier in our conversation, right? You're talking about vulnerability, you're talking about uh, emotions, that's a huge theme and even even my own work this year with clients mm. in terms mm. of leadership training right so now mm. what we're seeing and you see another case from the ceo of marriott who was very mm. vulnerable and he gave that address in march at the start of the pandemic yeah and, and and showing that vulnerability but it came across as strength rather than people seeing it as a weakness yes. right so a lot of these yes. behaviors that we want uh organizations to to showcase Mm. It's important that I think there's, there's leadership within there as well who are also brave enough to take yeah. that step, right? So there's lots of good Definitely. stuff in there and hopefully Definitely. it moves us forward, right? Um, I think it has to. I think it has to. And I think you're right. You know, we can't romanticise it. There's always going to be the, you know, the dark side and the cynicism. I think that's just part of human nature, you know? I mean, I, I read a fantastic book, you know, by social biologist E.O. Wilson, The Social Conquest of Earth, you know, not so long ago. Um, you know, and I, if you don't know him, he's an amazing guy. And I think he might even still be alive and writing science papers at the age of 102 or something. Wow. But, you know, he, 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 he said human beings are incredible because they're one of only something like, you know, let's say less than 20 species on earth ever discovered that have sociability. Right. Um, and he's musing about why that evolved and how it evolved. And, you know, his hypothesis really is that, you know, that, we we are built with this with this tension between self-interest and altruism you know and it's it, the way it expresses itself in human beings is particularly unusual but it's still there right so it i i think you're right that we can't romanticize anything ever right it's never the case that, uh, that corporations are only acting in an altruistic way and never self-interestedly but i think on balance you know i'm I'm, a, I'm an optimist, and I think that on balance, you know, when you look at the whole course of human history, you know, how far we've come, that we do, on balance, manage to work together. You know, the, the, the benefits of cooperation do outweigh, in the end, in the biggest picture, you know, the, the actions of, of purely self-motivated self-interest. Um, but it's, it's naive to think that they're never, they never, they just go away, right? But I, 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 you know, it's 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 a it's part of what makes it fun to be alive, really. I think Absolutely. if everything was really simple time. and straightforward, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be so much fun, you know. But the vulnerability of leaders, yeah, absolutely. I saw that thing from the guy at Marriott and Brian's later post in the pandemic was so much more 
um, authentic, authentically vulnerable than than the ones earlier. Yeah. And yeah, on a on a, it works at all scales, right? We have a client called Art Finder who who bring together. Uh, it's like a collective of artists, right? So again, it's one of these wonderful things about the internet, Stephen. You know, like which is you know, yes, we're talking about some of the dangers, but the huge potential of the internet is still amazing, right? If you Art Finder is a good example. There are people now, you know, living in in Vietnam and Thailand and Ethiopia and and places where they have very challenging economic circumstances, who are able to make living as an artist because of the global connectivity of the internet and the initiative Art Finder. So, if you, as long as you can get somehow get access to the internet, you can upload your art onto this platform, and anyone anywhere in the world can buy it. So, this platform is connected over 160 countries, tens of thousands of artists. Um, it's a brilliant initiative. And we worked with them a couple of years ago when they were struggling. And again, this, the core situation was even for this business, which you know was a very different type of business to Salesforce or Airbnb, the business was not showing its vulnerability to, to the artists. Um, and we persuaded the CEO to write a series of blogs over six weeks where he, he shared some of the challenges of the company and and how you know the, the the pricing structure was killing them. You know, it was giving too much commission to the artists, and and but he explained the whole picture, and the the turnaround in the sentiment was huge. Right, and the and the CEO, you know, we had someone from the team with him when the post went live, and he was crying. You know, in the office when when he saw the responses come through, because this this tide of anger and vitriol you know, that had come from the artists was suddenly replaced by empathy and understanding and compassion and collaboration, you know. But it's because he had to be brave enough to explain that things were going badly, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a really tough ask, but great things happen when you can do it. Yeah, yeah. And that bravery is important. So this, yeah. this leads me to um, my final question thinking about what we can all do right and and maybe that is about being brave um but as we hopefully see light at the end of this tunnel in terms of you know vaccines coming or in the pipeline we we hope that 2021 is going to be a better better year in in many respects um mm. what what can we all do so if anyone's listening to this episode you know what do, what's the responsibility that each of us has on an individual level? Is it about trying to create our own community? Is it being more mindful of the businesses that we give our loyalty to? Any thoughts on that and what we can all do on an individual basis? That's a great, a great question. You know, I, I think two things come to mind. You know, one is one is probably practical and one is emotional. And I would say the interesting thing we can all do is to be kinder to each other, right? Is to is to approach every interaction we have from a position of kindness, right? That the behavior that we are confronted, that we see through that, right? That we don't take that as, as a personal affront, that we assume a, a genuine human being on the other side of that behavior. I think that... That is so important, right? When the world, when we are under stress as humans, we default, don't we, to 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 some negative behaviour sometimes, and and we lose that sense that we are all in this together, right? That ultimately, there's very little difference between us. We are all biologically the same. We're driven by the same needs and emotions and fears, and I think it's in times of crisis, it's so easy to forget that, you know. So having a little mantra in your head about being kind uh i think is is super useful for everybody you know me mm. included and then i think i think quickly i would I, I do think that we now have more opportunities to choose ethically um in our consumption just before this call i, I was reading an article in the new scientist about climate change and the stat that jumped out at me was you know, per capita consumption in the US is 160 times that in Ethiopia. Mm. Right? And that 
has an impact, right? That has a big impact on, on climate. And as a species, we've got to solve the climate crisis if we're going to survive. And for that, we need, to, we need different solutions than we've got at the moment. And we need to think collectively and individually. And I'm really intrigued at the moment about how we motivate people to take individual action with a collective mindset. And it can seem often that individually, you know, switching my light bulbs or, or cycling rather than driving a car is not going to make a difference. Right. But it, I, I, I think that's wrong. I think that there's something there, right. That, you know, we can make individual choices. And if we make, if enough of us make individual choices, then collectively we will be making a difference with the concerted effort of businesses and governments. Right. But we're all in it together. We all, need to take some responsibility and i think there's more more ways of doing that than than ever before uh you know we can all we can all look at our and think about how we can make some kind of change and i and i think there again with the kindness it's i don't like shame right i don't think shame is is a good motivator for change I think you know it's a bit like oxygen shame right in in small amounts it's it's healthy it kind of mm. keeps you on the right track but in large amounts it's toxic yeah it, oxygen is toxic right um shame is toxic so let's be kind to ourselves but let's start to make you know use the tools at our, at our disposal to start making some uh, individual reductions in our consumption and thinking about how that works that brings us closer together in a, in a weird kind of way, right? If we're, it's something everybody in the world can get behind and, and we need more of that. Absolutely. So thank you. Those are fantastic closing reflections. Robbie, many thanks for your time today and wishing you the very best of luck going into the future. Thank you. No problem. Same to you, Stephen. Thanks. Mm-hmm.